ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd. We're six weeks from fall camp, 72 days until Auburn. Cleveland is off the championship snide, and life is great. Um, I'm your host, Nick Tully, guys, and I'm joined today by Ben, and we are here in our studio uh, in the middle of Cody's kitchen. Fellas, how you doing? I'm good. These are corporate headquarters here. Podcast hey. Inc. Yeah. Hey, I need to ask you about Cleveland. I think you deserve like a moment like to have the microphone to talk about Cleveland and the Cavs. Uh, okay. I, I can do that. Um, so for our listeners, I grew up in Cleveland. I don't know if that makes me a Yankee in most of y'all's eyes, but if so, guilty. For um, some of you that don't know, it's actually not in Canada. That's right. It's close, but we hate Canada in Cleveland. Um, I don't know why. But yeah, so uh, everyone's heard about you know the, the drought, the curse, if you will. Um, Cleveland just could not seem to ever put it together and win championships. Um, I encourage everybody to check out the 30 for 30 Believeland. Um, it's not perfect, but gives you kind of a sense for what we as fans have been put through over the years. Um, a lot of a lot of good teams that never quite got over the hump. So um, I just feel like with the Cavs winning this time, it um, first of all, it's an amazing feeling, and I, I it hasn't quite sunk in all the way yet. But it sort of had to happen this way for Cleveland to finally win a championship. They had to beat a historic team with their backs against the wall to just, you know, break the curse and get off off the snide, as I said. Uh, similar or not dissimilar to how the Boston Red Sox got over in 2004. You know, they were back against the wall against the hated rival Yankees. Um, they had to do what had never been done before, come down from 3-0 uh, to win that series and go on to win their first World Series in like 80-some-odd years. So... Um, definitely parallels there for me. It was amazing. Um, the fact that I live in the Bay Area, surrounded by Warriors fans. Um, well, how about the parallels to the Clemson football team, even? Absolutely. In terms of kind of longevity since glory, um, kind of going up against, I mean, I think you mean this season, this past season, um, you know, having a great run and be, kind of being the underdogs going into the, into the championship. Unfortunately, Clemson did not get it done against Alabama, but... Um, I but guess leading up to that, it's a similar feeling. Absolutely. Um, felt amazing. I mean, a lot of this is just LeBron coming back. I also feel like it had to be LeBron to be kind of the, the one the talk about, he was the chosen one, all that stuff. But, you know, ho- homegrown guy came back. Um, he really was the heart and soul of that team in this series, had three amazing games to close it out, had a triple double, um, that chase down block of Iguodala. I mean, I don't know how loud I yelled in my apartment when that play happened, um, probably louder even than the Kyrie Irving three, but, um, I don't know, man, it was freaking awesome. I, it I've breaks re- the streak for you. Cause you're also a Seahawks fan and within like a 15 month span or 13 month span, Seahawks lose, uh, Cavs lose and Clemson loses. Yeah. So maybe we yeah. got some momentum. Clemson loses in soccer too. Uh, yeah. I forgot about that. And I know how much you love Clemson soccer. Uh, until yeah. He, he watched it. We were excited. When I bleed orange, you know, there's a little bit of football in there, but Clemson soccer's easily half of that so so um, let me ask this and kind of you know because i feel like we may have opened a can of warm warm here we may be talking about cleveland all night um but let's do it 
So on the opposite side of that, watching the Golden State Warriors play, you saw how dom how dominated they were inside by the Cavaliers and their big bodies. Um, do you think that Jerome Blossom game would have been a good fit for them had he come out this year and them drafting him late in the first round to be that big That's body? That's a good question. Well, I, he's similar in size to a uh, Harrison Barnes, but he's bigger and stronger, and he's not as big of a He's going to defend wuss. better. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Just something. It's intriguing. Something that I was thinking about I, earlier today, thinking about the series and watching it and how, how the Warriors were kind of beat up and they didn't have that tough guy inside. Well, at North Carolina, Harrison Barnes was known for his jump shot, right? I mean, definitely had the, he's taller than most, that kind of thing. But um, that's really one of the roles he plays for Golden State is defense and threes. Um, and he can defend kind of the, all the way up to the five. I think that's what we're going to want to see from Blossom game this year. Harrison Barnes, by the way, total no-show in five of the seven games of the series. So thank yeah. you, sir. And my milk carton has Harrison Barnes on it. <laughs> right. Still. Still <laughs> missing. Um, hopefully they find him. But yeah, I mean, dudes, it was great. Sorry, you know, you guys like the Warriors, but you got one last year. Uh, the Bay Area, no shortage of championships here. So um, uh, Cleveland yeah. needed this. They won it in spectacular fashion. And now Clemson needs it. Yeah, I think Cody and I have been a Warriors fan for three years. So, <laughs> right. You know. We cry for Not three too minutes. Not too much heartache. <laughs> right, exactly. And we get over well, it real and, quick. And what I'll say, just, I mean, I, I really can't wait for Clemson fans to have the feeling of going decades without having a championship team. And when we finally, you know, reach this point that Cleveland's at right now, it's going to be so sweet. Um, I can't wait to experience that. I mean, people, I talk about this with some of my friends, like, you know, you're gonna die. You're gonna die at an old, old ripe age. You get one championship in your lifetime. From now until that point, what team is it gonna be? I always say Clemson football for myself, knowing that I would love to have a Cleveland championship. Like, and now we do, and that's awesome. See, and I, I but I Clemson football is my answer. To I that. don't wonder if it's not better to have to go through that heartache and pain for ultimately that one championship of your lifetime. Because I saw the Alabama fans after you know their fifth national championship or whatever under Nick Saban. And it was ho-hum, you know, typical day at the office. Business as usual. Business as usual. Right. Right. And it would have been completely different. Like, the amount of joy that would exuded from all of us. Um, you had, guys would have burned Clemson down Glendale. Game. Yeah, it, oh, it absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Right in the streets, yeah. There would have been riots in the streets uh, from uh, from College College Avenue to, to Glendale, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally good point. I feel like you know, fan bases like the Bay Area here where they've, you, if you add up kind of the Oakland side with the A's and the Raiders and then the Warriors now, the 49ers, the Giants, I mean, you know, even since, even in our lifetime, they probably have like 15 championships in the Bay Area. Boston, what kind of run have they had since the Patriots won in 01? You know, they have three World Series, I think three or four, four rings with the Super Bowl, um, Celtics and Bruins. Like, there's these pockets of the country, like, man, you guys are spoiled. Cleveland, on the other hand, has been on the short end of that. And I just think um, for Clemson fans, you know, we've got all the right momentum going in terms of this program with the coaching staff and the players. And we'll touch on that. It's really what we talk about on this podcast. But um, it's awesome. And it's, if we win three championships, Ben, the, the, the second and third won't be as good as the first, but they'll be damn good. We will never be like Alabama. No, yeah, well, yeah, I tell myself that. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get that first. But um, yeah. it, it totally changes your worldview, your perspective. I'm like three days into this feeling, and um, you know, good, not taking it for granted. Right on. Bring the 
the goodwill to Clemson now. Let's do it. Um, well, we're going to get into our podcast here in a moment. I wanted to take a, take a chance, though, to welcome our new listeners. Um, we've had you know a little bit of an uptick the past few weeks on um, some listeners from some different websites out there. So we are glad to have you. Um, this is us. We do kind of a three-man podcast. Sometimes it'll be two of us. Um, we're kind of in the lull right now, the football offseason. There's really an offseason in pretty much every sport um, at Clemson. So we're doing about every other week at this point. Uh, but we'll get, get into more regular recording when the season turns around and when we get into um, fall practice. But um, you can find the podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us in a number of different ways. Easiest way is just to find a podcasting app that you like to use. Um, if you have an iPhone, the podcast app on there, you can, you can locate us. Um, you can find us on iTunes as well. We put our recordings up on SoundCloud. It's a pretty awesome service. Their apps are really good. So you can just search for podcast on any of that um, and find us. Uh, we've also, we, we put posts up on Shaking the Southland. It's kind of a partner site of ours, as well as we put posts on TigerNet. So if you find us there, um, feel free to put comments. We're keeping track of those and um, as much as we can, kind of bantering back and forth. So love to hear from y'all. Love to hear your feedback. Um, and last thing, you know, we're, we've gotten a couple questions from friends of ours and certain fans. Um, just, you know, things they'd like to hear us talk about on upcoming episodes, especially now that we're kind of in this lull of the off season. So might do something like a mailbag. If you have a question or a comment for us or a topic you'd like to see us explore, shoot us an email, put a post up on um, any of our, our areas on Shaking the Southland or TigerNet. Um, you can also hit us up on Twitter. We're on there as well at Clemson Podcast. Uh, but our email address is clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. And to be clear, that's the TigerNet message boards. Correct. Not the website itself. Main page. Uh, excellent. So... Guys, I guess before we get into kind of the meat of this episode, talking about um, Clemson standing in the ACC and where things are right now, um, any updates? Cody, I know you've been keeping close track of recruiting. We've heard some rumors and murmurings there. Um, where are we at with recruiting? We are in a good spot. There's There was only one commitment to date uh, at the Dabo Sweeney you know, summer camp. Well, it seemed kind of slow for a while. Like it kind of got off to a dull start. But it really picked up after that, at least with yeah. some interesting tidbits coming out of camp. It was. Yeah, I mean, it, it started off, there was only like one high-profile guy, guy there the first week. It was Malik Herring, a defensive end. And if you're keeping up with any 2017 recruiting, you know defensive end is such a crucial crucial position. And just look at our depth chart. Like we got we got some talent there for sure, but it's, it's very thin. We need to hit a home run, if not two home runs, on uh, defensive ends this cycle. So Malik Herring is a guy out of Georgia. Had him in first uh, the first week. You know, he's working with guys like Daquan Bowers and um, Ricky Sapp. And obviously, I don't know if Shaq Lawson was there, but some, some guys that have played in the league. Kevin Dodd's been in his ear. Yeah, has he? Okay, yeah. well, great. There, there's, there's a lot to be said. Marin Hobby is the best in the business in terms of defensive linemen. Um, but anyway, this guy, Billy Carrick, probably a 50-50 Georgia-Clemson, maybe more of a Georgia lean. But the next week's when things kind of exploded. Zach Carter, he's a Florida guy from Tampa. You know, you know how important that pipeline is. He comes in. I mean, he, he's right up there in top 100, uh, top 50, depending on what service you're looking at. Looks a lot like Shaq Lawson built similarly. Uh, maybe a little bit of Malachi Goodman. But all of a sudden, he was kind of a Florida Clemson 50-50. He's looking like a strong Clemson lean now. We could see a, an announcement at any time. Uh, the one commitment we did have was Mike Jones Jr., who is a uh, 2018 guy. Uh, good pedigree. Dad was in, in the NFL. Brother played some college ball. 
so that, that's the kind of guy we're attracting. He's going to be he's going to be highly rated as a linebacker. I'm not going to talk too much about him right now. I haven't really reviewed his film or anything. Well, like again, that. that's a 2018 guy, right? Right, and who knows what could happen between yeah. now and, and then. So we're still really more focused on the 2017 recruiting uh, cycle. Uh, going back to the defensive ends, um, you know, we talk about being wide receiver you and whatnot, but think about the defensive ends that have come out. Like, and, and number one, you've got uh, Malik Herring's saying that. We've got the best defensive ends coach in the country in Marion, Marion Hobby. I mean, that's a huge statement right there. I mean, what kid wouldn't want to play for, for the best coach uh, at their position in the country? And then you have guys like we mentioned Lawson, Daquan Bowers, and Kevin Dodd, but not to mention uh, Beasley, Malachi Goodman, you mentioned, Andre Branch, Jarvis Jenkins, Ricky Sapp, Merling, and Gaines Adams, all the way back to him. I mean, that is a long string of guys who got drafted and played in the NFL. William Perry. Ring a bell? Anybody? I wasn't going back as far <laughs> yeah, as, we're not going as the far, 80s. Right. To... All right. All right. Well, we, we got some good guys on the depth chart, on the roster right now, too. I feel like Austin uh, Bryant, Cullen Farrell, uh, Xavier Thomas, those are going to be some, some players for us. But you, you need depth. You know, We saw Shaq Lawson go down in the Orange Bowl. Injuries will happen. We need to hit a home run. And I think in Zach Carter at least gives us a baseline or it gives us a starting point when, once we hopefully, I don't want to jinx it, but hopefully get his commitment. Um, flipping to the offensive side of the ball, we already know Hunter Johnson's in the fold. Um, I'm, I'm going to be singing his praises like over the next well, 12 months a lot because I think he's, bold prediction, I think he's our 2017 starting quarterback. He could be as a true coming in doing that. Um, he was upgraded or reinforced, I guess, his top quarterback in the country um, rating at the recent Elite 11, kind of quarterback top 11 in the country competition. Um, I think they called him most college ready was like the label they put on him there. So, you know, he's totally getting the right type of high profile um, exposure coming into Clemson next year. Well, and I mean, come on guys. I mean, we talk about wide receiver you and then is it DEU? We've been called linebacker you. Now, what about quarterback? Yeah, QBU. I mean, Deshaun Watson. Uh, We got Hunter Johnson coming in. and then there's some talk. This Trevor Lawrence kid, 2018, they're going to be a five-star, probably best in the country at his position. Well, that let's year. wait for these guys. Not to, to mention, yeah, let's wait for these guys. But not yeah. to mention, you have uh, Kelly Bryant waiting in the wings, Eric Cooper coming in this year, and Tucker Israel, Chase Bryant. I don't want to get to the QBU yet. I think if 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 uh, obviously Sean Watson is one of the but best. this is the biggest talent pool at quarterback that I can remember Clemson ever having come in. Right. Like, guys are going to pan out. This is not a one-off with Willie Korn. There, there was Willie really Korn and Kyle Parker who were, like, blue chippers. And, you know, they were, Willie Korn was, was, was Willie Korn a five-star, I believe? He was number like number one or number two in the country at one point behind Jimmy Clausen. By the senior year, he fell, like, out of the top 100. But he was he was a good, highly regarded player, but, just but like Kyle Clemson Parker. Clemson thought he was the savior at quarterback. And right. to, to be fair, he got injured, I think. I believe it was a game against Georgia Tech. Um and that really wrecked his career. But, like, that completely threw us off. I mean, yeah, Kyle Parker, he did some good things. But the, the talent pool we have, like, there are going to be guys that emerge out of this. Right? Well, I, I hope so. The- I'm saying there, there's going to be misses, just like we saw with Willie Korn and, to some degree, Kyle Parker. So I don't want to annoy Hunter Johnson there yet. But I will say, I think he's more polished as a high school senior than Deshaun Watson was. The one thing that Deshaun Watson had going for him going into Clemson was he already ran that same offense – Hurry up, no huddle. Uh, what we ran, what Chad Morris ran, and he was already ready a little bit. He had the dual threat, a little bit more dual threat than uh, Hunter Johnson. Hunter Johnson is a burner, though. I think he runs like a four six forty. So that's shocking. I mean, as yeah. good as we saw 
Deshaun Watson and, and how he came in, where he came in at, and the way the coaches praised him, saying he's kind of the most focused, uh, ready, true freshman QB they've ever seen. You're thinking Hunter Johnson could be better than that? I think he's more pol- like totally was saying. I think he's proven that he is the number one quarterback, high school quarterback in the nation, and his skill set is it, it's it's very beyond uh, an 18 year old skill set. I think he'll be probably our again. I think he'll be our starting quarterback in 2017. And what about Trevor Lawrence? What do you think about him coming in 2018? I think he's going to Georgia, but yeah, that, that's I, I do like Emory Jones. Too. Emory Jones is also the same class. Probably will be a five star. Who's quarterback. also the 2017 commit? Um, also from Georgia, Chase, Chase, Chase Bryce. Yeah, Chase Bryce. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of people. I'm not going to know anybody. The guy, yeah, you got to you got to prove it on the field, especially right. as a quarterback. So a lot of talent in the pipeline. Give it maybe another run with another good guy, and then, uh, then we'll these we'll aren't going to be th- two and three stars or transfers on the three deep. They're going to be four and five stars. Well, none of this is particularly news. I mean, Hunter Johnson reinforced his you know elite standing. But I think what we're starting to see is the effect of, if you've got this awesome pipeline of elite quarterbacks coming in, how can that affect your O-line recruiting, your wide receiver recruiting? And I think we are seeing some movement there, potentially, even if it's only rumors. That's the very interesting thing about this cycle. We are going into Tennessee and just stealing all the good crops. It starts with Amari Rogers. His dad, uh, T. Martin, was a quarterback for the national championship, Tennessee Volunteers. Now a USC coach. Well, his son, his son is just a uh, amazing guy, high character, and a salesperson for for Clemson. He loves Clemson. And, follow uh, him on Twitter. It, really, Watch is he a good follow? Yeah, really solid. Well, he is. Uh, Watch his highlight film. He looks like Artavis Scott, a little bit more leaping ability, maybe a little bit more strength. Going to be a tr- tremendous asset when he arrives as, in terms of a football player. But right now, he's a tremendous asset as a salesperson because he's been talking to Quadarian Richardson, uh, a running back commitment. Um, he's, he's obviously he is in T Higgins, who is the big name, the guy that they proclaim was the best they have seen in high school since Sammy Watkins, and it's looking like after t- second week of camp, T Higgins will we'll say he is a Clemson lean. We don't know if uh, there's Ron- there's speculation that he just put Tennessee as one and Clemson two just to kind of take the heat off of him. That's been the speculation, but we don't really know for sure. I mean, we're basketball is a big part of it for him and. When he was here over for Davos camp, like he didn't even get a chance to talk to anybody, any of the basketball staff. Now, not that Tennessee is necessarily a huge basketball pull, um, and again on the football side of the ball, um, you know they can try to sell him that he's the guy that's going to come in and turn their program around. Well, they had Marquez North, and that didn't happen there. Like you know, Marquez North made a decision not to come to Clemson, decommit, and go to Tennessee. So I think that's something on Clemson's coach's side when they're trying to sell him on the school. They like, listen, we are a wide receiver, you. Right, and I think I mean I totally agree. I mean he, I think he knows it too. I think there's a big, I mean that in-state poll from Tennessee. It's almost like no other. They take a lot of pride in that, and uh, very protective and territorial. They're going to do everything they can, every booster, every uh, you know. Well, it hasn't worked. Guy since, with a fat wallet is going to do his best. But it hasn't worked since the Philip Fulmer days, to be honest. That's true. Right. In terms of keeping, in, I think they've done a pretty decent job of keeping in-state talent there. But were they any good? I'm not talking about so much oh, about keeping them. in-state talent. Yeah. I'm talking about actually getting elite guys to come there and play. I think there's a difference in developing them. When you're, yeah, exactly. particularly wide receivers. No, they've done a shitty job. When you're an elite guy, when you're an elite guy, I think going somewhere in-state uh, is not necessarily as big of a factor as a pull as it is going to an elite program and playing for the best coaches and playing for the best teams and giving yourself the best opportunity 
to win a national championship. Well, that's rational thinking. And you, you, sometimes eighteen-year-old kids who have like a million people in their ear every day. Some bag men. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not gonna say it comes to that. But I so mean, is, is Higgins going to make a commitment this summer? Are we thinking that'll he'll wait till signing day? I mean, I these guys he's indicate. I think he's rumors are swirling. I mean, we've heard all sorts of things uh, between he could commit last night. Or he made some co- commercial or announcement video yeah. with... Uh, and maybe we shouldn't be part of the rumor mill, but we'll just say this guy is Randy Moss-type talent. Uh, in terms of college talent, he's probably as good as Sammy Watkins. That's the kind of upside. And, you know, he likes Hunter Johnson. He likes he need, he, He's played with him uh, at the camp. And that's There's the a good sell. rapport, like, a good chemistry. What quarterback does... And I don't know this, but what quarterback does Tennessee have to offer? Not number one to get him the ball. Patrick Dobbs, yeah, I don't even know who their number two guy is. So. Right. Yeah, and it's not that we know because we don't follow Tennessee recruiting letters. I'm just asking the question, and, right, and, right, and putting it in the frame of reference of what Clemson yeah, yeah. does have to offer. I Absolutely. just think after this year, if we can make the another push, be another, have another successful year, it's going to be too much. Uh, Mike Williams, what he's going to do on the field, it's going to be too much for him to look away at the Clemson. I mean, it, this is so exciting. Yeah, but he, yeah, big time. A lot of a lot of strides to put a bow on it. A lot of strides were made uh, at, from the camp. A lot of good things unfolded. I'm really surprised at how much happened in a short time during that second week. But we'll just say we got a staff now where we used to worry about losing recruits to Florida or Auburn, maybe for other reasons for Auburn. But we would worry in the last minute because they had that pull. We feel like teams worry about us in that same way now. Where like Quacking Tiger wrote about it on Shaking the Southland. The all-in cookout, if we don't announce the date of the all-in cookout because if, if other schools knew about it, they'll do everything they can to make sure a guy like T. Higgins doesn't come to Clemson that weekend. Well, and just think about it last year when we had all those defections uh, in the secondary after the national championship game. We go and get Trayvon Mullen, Isaiah Simmons, and was it Kevon Wallace? The three guys? I mean, right. It's right there at the end. We're like, we need DBs that go out and, and, and they, they went out and got them at the last minute. Yeah, never... Uh, Never have been able to do that. Um, hey, maybe one more point, and I know we, we need to get to our main topic here. Quacking Tiger alluded to this. You guys talked about it during your last episode when I wasn't here. Talked about satellite camps. And you said it's the one area, uh, we've been progressive in a lot of other areas, Twitter, you know, social media, um, a, lot of, a lot of different things. But we haven't done the same. We, we don't want to get left behind if there's a potential advantage to be had by doing satellite camps. And Quacking Tiger said he'll get into it in his next article. I, I tend to think... A satellite camp in a place like Texas is what he's probably going to allude to. I, I'm just speculating. But I think you guys were right. There is an advantage to be had by doing a satellite camp in a place where like an, a high concentration of really good Division One talent. Because so far, they're, really, they're not attracting the star power that Clemson's camp did. Dabo's right. camps attracted much more star power than, say, the one, I think, Harvard and Tidham one on, what, Myrtle Beach or something like that. I mean, something like that. It's like, it's like going to buy a car from a used car lot. You know, instead of a, a dealership or some jewelry from a pawn shop, right? right. This the same level of quality is not there. Exactly, and you talk about like going into Kansas for us and going, uh, you know, to get uh, I, name is escaping me right now. Uh, the safety going to get Kimbon Wallace out of Cincinnati. Isaiah Simmons from Kansas. Isaiah Simmons, right, yeah. right. So whenever like we talk about getting guys on campus and that being this the secret bullet. Well, we also do a pretty darn good job when we're on the road as well. So I, I think there's something to be said for maybe a Oklahoma, uh, Texas, Baylor's on the downswing, like going in and attacking yeah, that. would be a long downswing maybe. <laughs> right. Um, can we give boy Trey Smith some love at wide receiver? Your boy, your boy from, uh, from Charleston, yeah. 
I mean, I'll say that he's he's a darn good player. It's Going amazing. Going after him hard after we backed off James Robinson. We're, we're slow playing guys that are top 100 players like Ortrey Smith because at one point we thought James Robinson, who who is apparently has some issues that we don't know about, FSU won't even touch him, so you know it's serious. That's bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, this guy is, is what we need. He is uh, he's a big target. You know, we did have DeAndre Overton in the last class, but. I mean, he's a South Carolina guy. You can't, you know, you got to put more priority on him, and the coaches have been doing that. They're making up for some lost time. South Carolina doesn't have, uh, especially in the South, they don't have the highest level of talent compared to other states like Georgia and Florida and whatnot, but there still is some importance that you have to put on recruiting the state of South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, whether or not we let South Carolina get ahead and Will Muschamp uses that as a tool against us. But you still have to hold a little bit of ground there. Absolutely, especially when you're doing as well as we are. Uh, and you got a top 100 wide receiver. But there were two top 100 wide receivers from South Carolina in this class. One of them was Shy Smith. He was more in that number, uh, that two mold, uh, the second uh, receiver mold, like where uh, Amari Rogers will be playing. So we backed off. But Trey Smith's a guy we need. We really like him. He showed out for the most part this summer. His mom played volleyball at Clemson. Don't let him get <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, yeah, he's a legacy. Come on home. Cool. Well, obviously, a uh, lot, lot going on with recruiting, both 2017 class coming up, but also looking ahead to the future. Uh, it sounds like Dabo's camp was somewhat successful getting the likes of T. Higgins out, um, working with Hunter Johnson there. So despite being quiet, maybe initially the first few days of camps. So good news there. Um, we'll continue to watch that and discuss when movement comes through in college athletics and college sports uh, right now I think from a football perspective the top end of the ACC is the best it's been in a really long time and that's due to you know Clemson certainly um, and what we've done the last three to five years under Dabo Sweeney but also Florida State um, kind of moving past the Bobby Bowden era with Jimbo Fisher the trajectory of our two programs are really going nowhere but up and nowhere but top five really um, nationally but I wonder, guys, and what we want to talk about the rest of this episode is, what about the conference we're in? You know, it, are we teetering really on the brink of relevance nationally with this conference when it comes to football? And by extension, with football being the big money sport, you know, and with consolidation happening, and you know, just this being an interesting time, what does that mean for the future of the ACC? Well, and it's interesting because we we tend to like to focus just on what Clemson is doing and how well we're doing, and we kind of look within that bubble and we think we're protected in that you know we don't have much of an outside view because of how well we are doing then FSU is doing well as uh, as well uh, but you do have to look at the larger picture you know you're only as strong as your weakest link and you know honestly uh, FSU and Clemson are only two links on a much larger chain um, that eventually the weight of which could could bring us down so to maybe put a finer point on what we're talking about going on right now, really nationally. Um, you guys probably know this. A lot of consumers are cutting the cord, you know, getting, getting rid of their cable subscriptions because really you end up watching. I mean, I personally watch probably like three channels on my cable subscription or my satellite TV subscription. Um, I want the ESPN channels and I might want like a couple others. Or the game of Thrones channel. HBO is great. Um, et cetera. But ultimately, people are finding ways, you know, through direct subscriptions or, um, you know, what's available through streaming on the internet and through PlayStations and Roku's and Apple TVs and all this stuff, like ways to get their content without paying $100 a month to DirecTV or Comcast or 
Time Warner, whoever you've got. Uh, this is really affecting you know the amount of money that networks like ESPN and Fox are able to pay for live college football rights. So deals that looked you know very lucrative and amazing to conferences two, three, four years ago, like the SEC and like the Pac-12, who both started their own networks, um, those deals are not really there to be had anymore. And the ACC, you know, we kind of have moved at a pokey pace to figure our stuff out. Um, we're kind of, we're in a position where we don't have that long-term, you know, super lucrative deal. They're working it out. Um, and I think the Big 12 is in a similar boat. The Big 10 is also sorting its stuff out right now. But um, I don't know. I mean, based on some of the, you know, the signs that we're seeing, I think we absolutely, as a conference, you know, need this to be a home run deal um, in order to maintain competitiveness, you know, revenue streams coming into the schools to be able to keep up with the Joneses when it comes to just, you know, revenue and competitiveness and facilities and everything else. Well, and even the Big Ten does have a TV deal. The Big 12 and the ACC are the only two conferences that don't. And even and then in the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma have them. Right. And... I mean, you're talking about the college football arms race. What I mean, Kirby Smart from Georgia is flying around in helicopters from like state to state, camp to camp. Um, it are the facilities, the money that we've invested in facilities, and why this why this is so darn important is because we got to keep up with the Joneses, like you said, Dolly. Uh, South Carolina brought in more revenue than us last year. I mean, that's and how has they've been doing that for a while though? How long is how has that been working out for them recently? It, it it matters over the long call. It might not matter for a team like them or. A, Programs aren't ran well, but a program like Georgia, you give them an, a little bit of money and firepower. We lose them every time. Tennessee, like more competent programs, will capitalize, and, and Clemson will get left in the dust. But haven't we been making less money than these teams all along, anyways, and and see where we've come in, in that amount of time? We've made very good, efficient choices in our hiring, in the way we've allocated funds. Dabo is just an amazing leader, and so he's there, done a great job. But so there's it's a not balance sustainable. Out, but it's not always going to be that way. You can't always make right. great decisions. Yeah, you need, and we're doing it on such a tight budget. So, so why that's so important? Like, like I just alluded to. For one, I don't like the fact that South Carolina is making millions more than us in their crap year that they had, and, and we go to a national championship. Um, incremental Something's not right with this. That's exactly happening. the incremental yeah. effect year after year will will make us play like play from behind. I mean, to be level. fair, I think they're spending it all on paving the roads around Williams Bryce, but <laughs> not necessarily football upgrades. Making it a lovely atmosphere there. It actually does look a lot better than it did. But anyhow, um, so yeah, the, not saying much. <laughs> says former <laughs> alumni Cody. <laughs> I was there in the what I can't even remember what it's called now. The fairgrounds. Alumnus. Anyhow, so. Uh, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at, getting at here is there's a very important not decision but deal that needs to be struck between the ACC and what probably amounts to multiple media companies out there, um, and at the helm of these decisions and really at the helm of the trajectory the ACC's been on is Commissioner John Swap. Well, so you know, media deal aside with John Swafford, how do you guys feel he's done as our commissioner of the ACC? On a one to ten, a A to F. I don't know. I mean, you know, feel free to yeah. Uh, let's go with grades. Zero, zero let's go, to negative ten. Let's go, let's go A to F. A to F. No pluses and minuses. Just and you know. All right. So overall, I'm, but also with I am going. I am going to be try to be as unbiased as possible here as a Clemson fan. Um, haven't seen this guy. Um, this is groundbreaking operate. stuff. Operate. Um, by the way, he's a former athletic director for North Carolina. Well, he played football there. Right. I mean, 
it's his alma mater. Um, I would say on the surface, you know, it'd be easy knee-jerk reaction just to say F. I'm not going to say that. Um, so I, I waffle between C and D, and I think what squarely puts it on a D uh, for me is the whole UNC scandal and how that was handled. That's fair. And such a conflict of interest, the fact that he presided over or, frankly, that any of his staff would be involved in the discipline doled out. I mean, it's got to come from the ACC in some way, but they should have come up with a committee that was unbiased from not schools that are looking to see them punished unfairly. I think there's a way of handling these things, and, you know, it's... You're right. It wasn't wasn't handled well. When he was AD at uh, UNC... uh, you know, he pushed for additional penalties to be levied against Clemson back in 1982. Absolutely. We lost TV rights. And, we lost and, recruits. And so why, why is that okay then? Uh, but then when it comes to this huge academic cheating scandal at UNC, which has proven to be true, that no additional action is proposed to taken or taken against UNC. I mean, this is, this is a huge conflict. That's fair. Interest. I'm going to stop you right there, though. That has very little to do with how our conference competes with other schools. Well, it kind of does really how can you trust your athletic director to look out for your best interest when and he clearly has I agree. somebody else's best interest at heart. I totally agree. That knocks him down. I think it's fair to knock him down one letter grade just because he's a man apparently without a whole lot of integrity or whatever you want to call it. He initiated the separation of academics and athletics at UNC. He was part of that. He claims not to me. He'll say it happened in 2000, but that African-American studies thing like started coming on in like 93. That's four years before he left the position. Right. But I don't want to go off on North Carolina because ultimately we want to talk about really? You're a Duke fan. I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm not. I, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> right, but we're, what we're talking about here is can the conference compete long term with the SEC and the Big Ten, who are really the marquee conferences? And uh, you know, news alert: all business people that aren't don't have the best moral backing sometimes are really good business people. A lot of times they're our CEOs and our corporate leaders. And why why can't I even you know a man with questionable judgment, maybe to say the least? Why can't he be a good business uh, leader and and let's let's look at what he's done from business as right. Business well, can I decision. ask you then? Right. How would you maybe through that lens? It's per, it's a great great comment. So, yeah. how would you grade moves like the ACC's expansion? I think he did a great job in two thousand. I guess it was two thousand four, two thousand five. Bringing on Miami and Virginia and uh, Virginia Tech and Boston College. It, it's not his fault that Miami has completely just crapped the bed ever since. He brought in one of the elite, elite teams in college football at that time. Virginia Tech did pan out and become, for the most part, a top 10, top 15 team. It's not his fault Miami completely crapped the bed. And from there, you know, you can, you can say what you want about Pittsburgh later on and Syracuse. Um, but I think Louisville really just kind of made up for all that. And then getting Notre Dame. I think that alone puts him in like an A category in terms of the acquisitions. Okay, I'll, I don't I'll, put I'll, the blame on him for Miami sucking. Well, no, but I'll, I'll give him the credit for bringing in Miami and they have an elite history. But at the same time, a lot of this, uh, things surrounding Miami's uh, fall from grace in football is the scandals that have gone on there. And look at the teams that he's brought in. Miami, Louisville, Syracuse, all huge scandals associated with them. You can say Virginia Tech, not his fault that they got bad. You know, that was, a, that was an aging coach who used to be uh, an elite coach in college football, and it just played its course, just like uh, Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno did. Okay, get that. Uh, I mean, there's be, scandals be, everywhere, though. That I don't is, know that. No, that is true, but name all the ones front and center, UNC, Louisville, Syracuse. Baylor. And Miami. Let's go. Okay, USC. Baylor. Penn State. 
okay. Penn State. Are they all? Are they in the same conference? No, that's four in the same conference for the ACC. Um, Boston College. Let me give you this. Uh, I agree. At the time, seemed like a good fit are because s- they were playing well in football. I think that was a bit of fool's gold. And in, in, in that well, case, yeah. although I don't dislike Boston College so much all the way around as maybe I do some of the other schools, like a Syracuse per se. They do meet at least the academic kind of merit that merits that we hold ourselves to in the ACC. And there's something to be some said for that. Some would say UNC would too. <laughs> so true. is your point he's fostered a culture where scandal can happen? I'm just saying there is – Not necessarily. I'm just saying like underneath the, the surface of the things that we do give him credit for, it's, it's okay to question those things because when we really look at them, oh, it's not his fault, Miami – went downhill well you know there's a lot of controversy around Miami and there has been for years and years and years okay this isn't like blindsided by this <coughs> and eventually bit them in the ass so you, are you saying I just think these are isolated to those school situations um, as are things like Jerry Sandusky and uh, Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush and Jim Trestle and Terrell Pryor with tattoos like I mean this is this is college football like if you're not paying players certain things are going to happen uh, coaches are a lot of times dirtbags. Bobby Petrino, like, there's a lot of, or even worse, with Sandusky and Paterno. Like, I just and I and taking I, it back to Swafford. I mean, I, I just that, I don't he, know. He, I don't see the correlation. Was he supposed to have the he was associated with the UNC cheating schedule uh, scandal. He's squarely associated, and he deflected all blame when questioned about it. He, th- you know, he let Roy Williams t- kind of take the brunt of it. And by all accounts, Roy Williams has always run clean programs. At Kansas, no issues whatsoever. When he came to UNC and saw that so many players uh, were enrolled in those African-American studies classes, he didn't like that, and he tried to put an end to that. But Swafford, mm. he wouldn't take one bit of the blame. He said, no, that was all prior to, th- uh, uh, that was 2000 and later. Okay, we'll, we'll put a point in the category of questionable ethics, um, I don't know where I would mark that against his, the entirety of his tenure. Um, I think, you know, let's call the, let's call his fostering a culture of you know clean programs and uh, swift justice when things don't look don't look great. Let's give him an F. That's fine. I'm fine doing that. I'm not willing to give his entire you know legacy and tenure or really the the direction of the ACC like failing marks because of just that. No, absolutely not. And I I don't want to get too hung up on these. Uh, glaring shortcomings that he's had because in spite of it all and uh, kind of the um, the emergency situation the chaos it seemed like with expansion uh, and of um, college football conferences and the shakeup that was going on he managed to keep the ACC together uh, he managed to keep a conference that wasn't really strong in football together in a in a sports landscape that is very heavily weighted towards college football so the expansion things that he, the teams that he did bring in, Louisville, yes, absolutely, home run higher from an athletic standpoint, totally agree. Same thing with Notre Dame. You could even argue Pitt getting into that Northeast market. I'm just not a huge fan of Syracuse in general, um, but he he did make these moves, and that helped keep the conference afloat. It kept the rumors of uh, FSU or Clemson going to the uh, Big 12. It knocked those down, and the conference did survive. And to be honest, I've got to give it to him for this. It's in a pretty strong position right now. And part yeah. of that has to do with getting rid of the $50 million exit fee and, in, and instituting the grant of rights. Talk us through the grant of rights, what that means and what that means for the short-term future of the conference. 
So uh, essentially, and we went through this with Maryland, and that's another thing you can kind of give Swafford and F1 um, with Maryland, mainly more so being blindsided by the fact that they were leaving and not seeing it coming or not knowing it was coming. Because I think if you ask most ACC fans, nobody's going to shed a tear that Maryland's not in the conference anymore. Um, mm. But then again, he countered that by getting Louisville back in. But uh, Maryland ended up having to pay, I don't know if they ended up having to pay the entire $50 million uh, exit fee or a portion of it, uh, but there was something heavily, le- uh, some heavy penalty levied against them. Still didn't stop them. So moving on from that and taking a, a different look at things, uh, the ACC comes up with this grant of rights, which is something different than I think other conferences are doing. And it, what it essentially does, it's good through the 26-27 season, and essentially it holds conference teams' uh, TV and media rights uh, royalties from them and any conference that may come and poach them. Um, which essentially blocks them from leaving. Like, Clemson can't give up their TV revenue. The SEC is not going to bring on a team or the Big 12 that they're not going to get any revenue from. It's not just not going to happen. And I think essentially what it does is, it, it, more so than being focused on the stronger teams in the conference, um, I, I think it helps keep the weaker teams in. It's like when the Pac-12 went and poached Colorado, and that was kind of the dominoes falling of the of the Big 12, right? It keeps the weaker teams in there, and it keeps your conference together and cohesive for, you know, several years to come. Well, it seems to me, I mean, I would I would consider that last move to be strategically intelligent coming off the Maryland situation. Whether that hurt the ACC or not, I mean, yes, we might have lost the D.C. market for all the people there that, you know, follow Maryland from a TV perspective, but, um, I you know, I'm not shedding any tears losing Maryland. You know, if they want it out and they're going to go to the Big Ten, that, like that's fine. I I feel like you know putting that move in place does keep the the integrity of the ACC together. I'm considering that somewhat of a win. You know, trying to be unbiased in the Swafford category. I think expansions in general air toward win for me. Um, I'm not saying throw our ethics out the window. I feel like, yeah, I mean scandals happen. I don't. Maybe we'd like to see a stronger hand coming down from you know, the, the league office, that kind of thing. But um, ultimately, you know, it's it's not necessarily Swafford's job to see... I, I'm more concerned in the ACC right now with the bottom, bottom dwelling and even the mediocre um, teams and schools that should be overachieving. And I don't necessarily know how much of that you can put on, you know, the leadership of the conference. And Absolutely. And we're going to see coming in next year a handful of really good accomplished football coaches coming into the ACC, which hopefully will build up that bottom tier and make us, uh, as a conference, more competitive throughout the college football landscape. Now, kind of going back to it, I, and again, I, you know, I hate to completely bash somebody without giving them some credit. Uh, Clint, uh, the ACC is in a very unique position as a conference. We have our foot in the door uh, of not only the stronghold in the South for college football, but also the stronghold in the North for college basketball, and that's huge. That's very unique to, unique to any other conference. Moving the ACC basketball tourna- tournament to New York City, yeah, maybe it's not great for Clemson, but how often are we relevant in basketball? Can really I, think it's amazing. In- I think it's amazing for Clemson, actually. Uh, the brand exposure we get to the New York City market uh, when you know getting on the radar in football this year is good. And again, like basketball, who knows what kind of showing we're gonna have in ACC tournaments the next few years, hopefully amazing ones. I'm really excited about basketball uh, next year, by the way. Totally. but I. I think um, moving from Greensboro where, you know, everyone says, oh, it's such a great event there. You really, you know, the, the town is engulfed in this tournament. But who said that? The Tobacco Road schools? 
I like Jay Billis, and he, so he's Duke, whatever. But um, Cody over anyway, there. ultimate, you know, NYC, it's it's where it's at, and that is going to help with recruiting and the profile of the ACC in the Northeast. It's going to be awesome, and that's really where, you know, that's where this country's, it's the heart of media, you know, in the and, and, in and what York. kid doesn't want an opportunity, even from Clemson, you can say to that. play hey, Madison Square Garden. Madison right? Square Garden. Totally. I mean, that's like... They're, you know, the Knicks aren't any good anymore. It's still like a mecca of basketball. We continue to jump on the grave of the former Big East in basketball. And Absolutely. I think it's ours to do, and it's fine. And so, so, and so that was one area where he did succeed. And people can say, oh, man, football is your revenue generator. We need to focus on getting football schools. Well, he kind of did that in Louisville and Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Louisville are both good basketball schools, too. Syracuse, yes, they're only going to be good in basketball. Pitt, probably only going to be good in basketball. But the fact that you can command that market up and down the coast in two different sports, again, very unique. I mean, you can talk about maybe the Pac-12 doing that on the West Coast, but, you know, we're, from, just, we're from the West Coast. Nobody cares. There's right? only one sport that really matters right now. I'm not saying that college basketball doesn't matter, but it matters more in March Madness. That's where the money's made. Sure. Football matters, and that's what moves the needle. And I just, you know, maybe to take it a step back from John Swafford or take it a little bit away from him, uh, maybe to close out on him, in 2010, when he made that, when he made the, the TV deal. And that, at the time, what's, and this is crazy because we talk about, we had the, the luxury of hindsight, just like with Miami and Virginia Tech and Boston College. Well, at the time, that was a great deal that he negotiated for the, for the ACC. Wasn't until, like, I think it was a couple years later, some of the other guys negotiated and just dwarfed what deal that we had, and we've been paying ever since. Well, the reason that's important is because we've been wait- waiting the last four years on how are we going to, we're going to come out with a new ACC network, what are we going to do, and this is why it's so important. This decision, probably his last big one, I hope, uh, as he's getting, he is getting up there in age, will, could steer us in, into a good spot, probably, probably, probably uh, excuse me, leveraging basketball. But, uh, well, I'm willing to, again, like this, this isn't the John Swafford episode here. I think it's the ACC episode and understanding where, where Clemson sits in that and where the future of the conference will allow us to go. Um, but ultimately the guy leading that conference is sure is it's the, the man ship. and that's fair. I think we need to reserve judgment on John Swafford's effectiveness until we see, you know, where they move with this. And we're, we're behind right now that SEC's done what they do. Big 12, they've got bigger issues. They're trying to figure out who's part of that conference. And they're thinking about expanding. Thankfully, we're, we've already made our plays there. And I think we made really good ones. Um, I think for us, the Big 10 right now is who we need to follow and watch what they do. They're probably going to split their rights up. You're not going to see all Big 10 games on... They do have a Big 10 network, but you, you can see you, you see their games on ABC. And, and you're going to start seeing their games on Fox increasingly... They're going to spread themselves out a bit, um, and I feel like we might want to do that as well. An area where the ACC has actually been leading is digital, though, and understanding like streaming rights. You can go on acc.com most Saturdays now during football season and watch nearly every game streamed, unless that game is like a featured ESPN game. Yeah, it's the highest traffic collegiate network, which is, uh, you know, which does so we're say a lot. There. And and right. kind of to go back to what you were saying, I think the comparison to the Big Ten is a great one. Uh, primarily because you look at that conference and they're kind of like the ACC. They're really right now two uh, football powerhouses there, uh, Ohio State and Michigan State, very similar to the, the, the way the, the, the ACC is. And then you have a bunch of other mediocre teams. 
I mean, name me another team that matters in the Big Ten right now. Michigan State. Michigan State and Michigan. Well, I said Michigan, oh. but but I said Michigan State and Ohio State. Michigan is still yet to be seen. We'll see what Jim oh, okay. Harbaugh. Let's we'll see what Jim Harbaugh does with that. If his bravado and chest thumping actually pans out, and if it doesn't grow old in the homes of college well, recruits. It's uh, regardless of where they're at, it certainly matters from a, a revenue and media rights standpoint. They that they command a, a large audience of faithful people throughout Michigan with their like what is it sixty thousand enrollment. That will. Uh, and they're a national brand too. Yeah, they're um, national brand. Anyway, there's, yes. There's still been a huge shift in college football from northern powerhouses down to the south. Now, do we start to see that go back? We've only really seen it with Ohio State. You can say Michigan State has been there, and they have, but then you see what happens to Michigan State, very similar to Notre Dame, when they get in a playoff bowl game and they play it against a really good southern college football team. Ohio State's the only one that's really been able to compete in the last several years. Well, comparing them in terms of football, yes, but in terms of what they bring and when you're negotiating or looking for bargaining chips with you know, ESPN or NBC, ABC. Fair point. Because so these schools have 60,000 student enrollments. They have 500,000 living alumni. Yeah, it's crazy. They have Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C., and then smaller markets like Cleveland, Minneapolis, Detroit. I mean, they've got media markets that the ACC, that John Swafford, Wishes only wishes we had, and that's why moves to like cordon off Boston, Miami, um, you know, parts of the mid Atlantic region, New York City with the ACC basketball tournament. Like these kind of things are important. You need strategic markets, and this isn't. This also isn't a media podcast. We're talking about TV rights and whatnot. But well, the reason it's important is because it's gonna it's gonna make or break this next deal, which will ultimately make or break the ACC's long term viability. Us, it could lead us to a nine game conference schedule, which, in my opinion, would be hugely detrimental to Clemson. So I keep reading about this schedule, and right now we play an eight. This is how our seasons break down. We play eight games in the ACC. Is it evenly split, home and away? Yeah, four home, four yeah. away. Then you you generally have. Two, uh, what two other home games? So we obviously well we have South Carolina that's a home and uh, it's a home and home every single year. So we alternate with them, and then we're left with three other games. Two are cupcakes. They're always home and, games. And home games at right. Clemson, and then the other is we take on a powerful uh, out of conference foe. This year it's going to be Auburn. It's going to be Texas A and M in the future. I know everybody's looking forward to twenty twenty one. We play Wyoming. Well, we've inside joke. In, we've also <laughs> slotted in Notre Dame as an out of conference opponent. You know they don't play an AC. You know they're affiliated, I guess you could say, with the ACC. But last year that was that was our marquee out of conference game, South Carolina notwithstanding. And what a nine game conference schedule would do, it would effectively, you know, because we would want to retain six home games, we would ultimately give up that Auburn, Texas A and M, Notre Dame type of game on our schedule. Uh, we also like the cupcakes, as it turns out, well, just from a, getting our players ready. Using it as a de facto bye week too. Yeah, well, you need them. I mean, it used to be um, a couple of years ago we put them in front of the South Carolina game because that's what the SEC was doing. Then we just realized we could put Wake Forest there and it'd be the same thing. <laughs> same deal. <laughs> I mean, so what what the nine game nine game conference schedule does though, it gives the ACC one more game they can televise, one more game they can throw in a media contract. But who wants to watch that right now? It, so but, that amounts to we're going to play our Atlantic schedule. We play our Georgia Tech rival every year. In the, in the Coastal, and then we always alternate who that, whatever that heck, eighth game that is um, with, with one Coastal opponent. The ninth game would be a second Coastal opponent. So now you're playing UVA and Pitt, or now you're playing 
North Carolina and Miami. Like, who wants to watch like BC Pitt on a Friday night? Is that is that well, really drive up TV ratings? Well, that bring in re- to, revenue? You're speaking to the lower rungs of the ACC and how bad you know they've kind of brought down our bargaining power in terms of negotiating with some of these big you know networks. But uh, and you were talking about this too, Tully. You know, you're, or maybe you said it, Ben. You're only as strong as your weakest link, and these guys really do hurt us. But like like you said, is it is I guess Clemson and you know we'll say NC State any more sexy than? Uh, or I'm sorry, is NC State and Georgia Tech any more sexy than NC State and East Tennessee State? I don't know. Well, I think that's where our uh, our fellow conference members need to step it up and actually play some exciting out-of-conference games. You only get better if you play better competition. That's the only way that's going to happen. But if you're Wake Forest and you're playing, I think they got like Army oh, and Akron Kurt. or something like that, and you play yeah. three kind of we- mid-majors slash cupcakes... I agree with you. I would like to see that too. I would like to see them improve. The way they improve is through exposure so they can recruit. They see, and this is true, the biggest sign to get exposure is to play in bowl games and be bowl eligible. You've got to get six wins. Are they going to get six wins if they're playing Tennessee or even Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt, you would think, you know, NC State could get, and maybe they take like I think Vanderbilt one out of three. opened as a three-point favorite against South Carolina this season. Throwing that out there. Sorry. Basketball? I, I, no, no. Football. Oh, all right. Um, game caught you. So, Sorry. I, anyway, I mean, I, we could talk our ears off about wanting the lower tier of the ACC to improve its quality of um, of play and, you know, where they're going to be able to schedule, you know, better opponents out of conference. I mean, I love the idea of having an ACC versus Big Ten challenge applied to college football. And let's come up with an affiliation we can do there's tons of money to be had early season in that first one to two week window. Um, you know, you can grab the attention of the, of the country by doing that kind of thing. I'd like to see Swafford get creative with scheduling before we subject ourselves to a ninth game in the ACC. And then really that is hurting. Maybe that helps the rest of the conference and helps the, the revenue deal. Um, helps the wakes of the world and even Syracuse, those guys. But it hurts Clemson and Florida State, who would otherwise be scheduling, um, you know, e- and we are the most important players in the ACC and college football right now. The amount of money that I imagine that these two schools bring in from playing on the national stage, from playing in the college football playoff, previously in the BCS Bowl games, and in national championship games, that's got to be more important than anything else. And then so you combine that, and then you start getting these higher-profile coaches, Mark Rick in Miami, starting to come into the ACC Guys that have had success at, at, at the, in the SEC know how to recruit. I think you start seeing that shift. Let's see what happens next year. Let's see if any of these teams actually do improve. I mean, you're, it's going to take time for Justin Fuente to get his footing in Virginia Tech. I do think they hired a guy that can come in and plug and play with Beamer's team. Uh, Mark Richt might take him a year or two. Dino Babers is in at Syracuse, I believe, or is he at Virginia? Syracuse. That's right. Uh, so, and um, Bronco meant... Right. That's is right, that yeah. uh, Virginia? Anyway, you know, these guys, I don't expect 2016 for be, be the year where these guys jump three wins apiece. You know, if they and, do, we'll know their names and where they coach. That's right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, we need to see improvement. All of this, I want to, I like, put a, put a summarizing statement on this. Clemson's not going anywhere. We're not leaving the ACC. Florida State's not leaving the ACC. We're not going to move to the SEC, no matter how much the SEC likes to say, oh, y'all play kind of like an SEC brand of football. No, we don't. We play Clemson football. Florida State does its thing. 
we're very much our own unique brands. We are in this conference like it or not. And our leadership, John Swafford, is considering moves. Like there's an important, you know, event happening right now, which is this this latest next media deal that it's gonna take us through really, you know, the next 14, 15 years of this conference. We are in it. I feel like I'm hopeful that Dan Rad is making moves behind the scenes to keep Clemson's best interests in mind. I don't know if the nine game schedule is a foregone conclusion and that's happening no matter what. My hope is there's a lot of ideas coming out about how's Clemson been able to sustain these agreements and arrangements to play marquee opponents from the SEC from around the country. Um, Florida State does the same, a few schools do the same. I mean, Virginia Tech's been playing like Boise State in the past. Like they're able to do it. How can the rest of that? Virginia played UCLA? Absolutely. Like these things can happen and you can spread that revenue around, you know, in creative ways. I'm hopeful that's the solution and not a nine game deal. We'll see what happens. But um, ultimately we are, I'd rather take our situation than the situation going on in the Big 12. The Pac-12, I think is, they're not completely screwed, but their network has been a flop and um, and that's it's, good. It's part of the reason we us holding this long is maybe a good move because we're, we're learning from the failure of the Pac-12. We can't replicate what the SEC does. They've had success because they go through the cable networks, and if you're in you know rural Mississippi and your cable network doesn't carry the SEC network, they will burn that cable station to the ground. And we can't replicate that. The Pac-12 certainly hasn't been able to. And now that we see more cut cord, uh, cord cutters, excuse me, it gives us a little bit more, like we can be more thoughtful. And it also does one other thing, talking about all the, the new injection of hires of you know these new coaches, maybe these teams get a little bit better. Maybe we see a little bit different Miami and it gives us a little bit more leverage. Well, to that point, what I would like to see the ACC do, and I've read a ton of proposals around this, is I, I, I want to be associated with a conference. And I think we, we root for a school and a team that they're innovators. They're coming up with new ways to do things, or they're they're borrowing from what's working well at Stanford and other programs and where Chad Morris came from. Apply that a little bit to how we run our conference. And we've got these divisions, and at some point, someone decided you should have an East and a West or a Atlantic and a Coastal. Um, I don't know that that necessarily works, especially with how many times in a 10-year in a period are, is Clemson going to be able to play a Miami? We just came off of... You know, we just played them, I, I don't think it was even two years in a row, but we went down there and beat the tar out of them and got their coach fired. I would love to see that, see us play Mark Rick's team a year from now. And we gotta be careful what we wish for with the ACC getting better, the middle class getting better. We might face teams that we're gonna lose to. And that's ultimately probably a good thing. That's for fine, then you, I mean. But what I wanna get at is. Has that hurt Alabama? It hasn't, you're right. I, I, what I would like to get to is creative thinking around, we've seen proposals. What if we did away with the two division sort of protocol and just took the best two teams at the end of the regular season with the best conference records and played them together in the championship game, regardless of affiliation? You could do this through things like, you know, you, you, every year we're going to play Florida State and Georgia Tech, let's say, and then we rotate everybody else that we play. What that does is it speeds up, you know, the frequency with which we would play every other team in the ACC. I mean... So here's the thing. I, there's so many different ways that I think that could shake out, and it's really dependent on who's good when. I mean, it, it's similar to the conversation in but, the NBA about the I Western versus you. the Eastern Conference. But I agree with you, but I think what that does is it just flows it all around more. And, you know, right now we've enjoyed a great stroke of luck. The rest of the Atlantic outside of Florida State sucks. That game every year, FSU-Clemson, is a default. Frankly, it's the conference championship. 
every year, but it's definitely the division championship. And if we played them, but then played, you know, I just think there's more of a likelihood that that game, losing that game does not eliminate you. If we're all playing a more like, uh, I don't know what the right word would be here, but you know, un- unreglamented schedule. Well, and, and I, I think that goes, that is one of the shortcomings of uh, specifically John Swafford in this situation is the ACC division alignment. Um, you can question whether or not it's flawed, but at the same time, like you just said, there's really no perfect solution that's out there or that anybody's really proposed, so it, it kind of remains to be seen. I mean, at the end of the day, your teams just have to play better, and if they play better, and if there's three strong teams from one con- division and three strong teams from the other division, then that answers the question right there. But we happen to be in a time where there's two strong teams, maybe three with Louisville in one division, and you know UNC and sometimes Georgia Tech in the other. So you just described a scenario where competitive balance is good, and that's when there are three strong teams in one and three in the other. What's more likely, that happening, or there being maybe two powerhouses, and if they happen to be on the same side, then you get what we've had in the coastal the last two to three years, where, I mean, this is joked about by like a lot of college football writers, you could end up with, what would it be, seven, six and six teams, and there's this crazy ass tiebreak scenario where they're all pretty lousy and mediocre. They all lose to one another, and they just get through. And that winner has to play Florida State while we wait in the sidelines. You, That's complete bullshit. You're totally right, and it's 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 a completely fluid situation. It's the same deal with the SEC West. Yeah, and I'm the just SEC suggesting East. that like a fluid schedule where there's a much more rotation. It's probably more likely to result in better matchups and a fairer system where you just put the best two schedule, best two records at the end together. So kind of like it almost sounds like you're proposing something like the NFL, where the best teams uh, at the end of the season go into the next season, they get a harder schedule, and you're kind of doing some balancing like that, and that kind of helps lower tier teams have an easier schedule, maybe play a little bit better, get some momentum behind. I think you could attract more free, those dynamics, track more free agents, and their right. teams get better. You absolutely could. And, um, and nobody complains about that. Nobody right. complains about that. Nobody, yeah. Everybody looks at the Carolina Panthers who went undefeated in the regular season last year. Nobody complains about the fact that they were terrible the year before and were not that great, and they didn't have a, that hard of a schedule yeah. this year. Fo- football's hard They'll anyway. focus more on the fact right. that their uh, conference uh, or their division wasn't that great. I, I think what this does, too, is it also balances out the ability to play opponents within the conference. And... The fact that we don't play UVA that often or UNC or Duke or Miami, those schools, isn't a great thing. You're not encouraging travel throughout the region. I mean, how how sick are people of going to Raleigh and no one goes to Winston-Salem, you know, those kind of things. If there's a novelty factor of playing, you know, Pittsburgh for the first time and moving around the, the conference a bit. I don't really ever want to watch us play a game in Pitt or Syracuse. <laughs> I don't want to, I mean, hell... If it was up to me, I want to play Georgia, Florida, of course, South Carolina every year. All of our love well, playing Auburn. You move the SEC is what you're saying. I'll play Tennessee. I'd love to play Texas. Maybe they're I any, love any playing thoughts o- here, Cody? I can't tell you how much I love playing Oklahoma. Just absolutely <laughs> love it. Put them on the schedule every year. If the Big 12 goes down in flames, which they could, I would love to see us take in uh, Oklahoma. And then the West last Virginia. thing of this, last part of this, we need Notre Dame in the conference. They need to be a full member. I love the idea. And I think there's ways we could do that creatively with our media deal. You know, figure out a way to carve in NBC and give them a favorable cut of games shown on that network, whatever, which is what they got now. Um, I agree with you. And no one's been able to force Notre Dame into a conference in the past, but 
you know, we're as close as anyone's come. Right. And for, for them, it's not just the, the have, have them in and be part of the, the become, become a conference champion potentially. They're going to get, I, I hope they get left out of the playoff. I don't, I think they're, they're playing Russian roulette as not being going all in with yeah. that. One conference. or two times of that where they're like, what do we got to do? And the answer's right in front of them. Right. I think you're right. So, but somehow there's so much hype with them at the beginning of the year. They get preseason polls. They get put up there in the top. They can you can talk about whether they deserve it. And they go play Alabama a, and they lose like 40-something right. to but 10. You can talk about whether it's deserved or not, but it, it is a reality that they have been able to be independent and sustain it. You know, money talks though. This is all about the money. Can Swaffer navigate through the current climate, have some foresight into where the world's going? And strike up a deal for the ACC that works. Hopeful, he's done some good things with conference expansion. It sounds like his last deal was pretty prescient. And it sounds like they've got digital figured out. I'm just hopeful it doesn't result in a world where we're compromising Clemson's ability to do what's right for us by scheduling awesome out-of-conference foes um, just to help you know, Wake Forest somehow exist in this conference. And, I mean, you know, Sorry, we, 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 we tried to say it. It's, it's not about... Maybe it's not about John Swafford, but I kind of believe it is. I, I believe it kind of starts at the top and the guy leading you. And I agree, he's done some things well. Um, I still hold uh, the UNC scandal very much against him. I think there's a lot of bias there. I really, in a lot of situations, don't understand why conference ADs haven't stood up against him. I mean, to me, it's kind of like re-electing George Bush for a second term. Uh, you know, you got this guy, he's supposed to be pretty smart, but he seems kind of stupid. He stammers a lot when he's when he's throwing the hard questions, and you don't really know if he's more interested in defending his family's honor or the greater good of the whole. Uh, at the end of the day, though, George Bush was dropping bombs on his enemies. John Swafford's been throwing water balloons. Does he start dropping bombs? And that's the question. Are you reading off a napkin over there? No, I'm just um, drinking a pint of the elder. That was great, man. We gotta put a beat on that and let you like freestyle. That was great. No, that's that's a nice little analogy there. Speaking uh, of beer. Speaking of beer, we'll take a, a brief beer timeout here um, as we wrap up the show. So Ben furnished some Pliny the Elder, um, a delicious IPA for the team today. Uh, we're enjoying that. Also some Lagunitas IPA, keeping it California style this week. I was in South Carolina just a couple weeks ago. They are loaded with Lagunitas. Like it, it's right. You know, we can go to the plant, the brewing comp- or uh, the brewing plant. Just what is it like an hour north, Petaluma? Like, yep. Yeah. It's made its, it's way like, out east. Like, yeah, they, it's kind of like how New Belgium right. uh, made its way. Although Lagunitas makes uh, far better beer, I you know I will say uh, again, Pliny the Elder, the best uh, in production, like always in production beer that I've ever had. It's a double IPA from a Russian River Brewing Company. The best beer I ever had was uh, Pliny the Younger, uh, a triple IPA. They only make a certain time of year in February. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the West Coast uh, and, and the beer scene and everything. If you get out to San Francisco here, it's not just our wine. Go to Santa Rosa. Go to Russian River Brewing Company. It's not just their IPAs. It's all of their beer. Believe me, you will be amazed. I was in Asheville in, in Sierra Nevada while you're drinking right there. They they do a great job with their uh, their facilities and everything like that. So if you haven't, if you're in like the Charlotte, we know we have a lot of listeners They've got in a Charlotte. bunch of... Uh, Different varieties of beer too. That's very good. Sierra yeah, Nevada does. They yeah, a lot of them yeah. are specific. Yeah, I was I was really surprised. I'm usually torpedo or the regular. They have a lot of variety of sour beer that was really good. Uh, I had one of their Gosses the other day. Yeah, yeah, it, it was good. Nevada. What did I say? Nevada. Nevada. 
I see Sierra these. Nevada. Yeah. Nevada. Sierra Nevada. It's like Missouri. Nevada. Oh, well. I mean, I live out here, but I'm not supposed to know anything about bordering <laughs> states. Oregon, I don't care. Right. Uh, all right, well, where do we land here? ACC. I mean, we, as much as any other school, represent the ACC. We're a founding member. Um, I think, it, frankly, as a conference from a football standpoint, we're as good as we've ever been. We've got the future's bright on the field. Um the future is still unwritten when it comes to, you know, our long-term survival and finances. Um, maybe Ben's favorite guy in the world is not at the helm, or the guy at the helm is not Ben's favorite guy in the world. But again, the ACC right now is solidly a Power 5 conference. Can't deny that. So and we're, we're by no means in the worst shape of all the Power 5s. Um, some that you read might consider us to be, and I think we need to step up, you know, our... our results on the field for that to improve. I feel like we're all a little bit conference uh, Republicans where we, we are, we're sitting at the, the, at the top, we're in the top class and there are Wake Forests and there are built-in things in the ACC, the Syracuse's of the world, the basketball bias and lean that we just can't replicate what the SEC does. But we do need team. We do, we do need to have a strong middle class while we're making, you know, kind of political, uh, let, let's see what analogies. We need a strong middle class. Let, we need Miami to get back in the hunt. We need them to be a perennial top 25 team. See what Louisville does. Sam and Virginia Tech. Louisville has the potential to be a top 15 team perennially. Like they, I think Bobby Petrino is that good of a coach. I mean, North like, Carolina. I mean, ACC championship game last year. Let's see what they do. Right. Let's see what uh, Fuentes does at Virginia Tech. I don't, I don't think, don't get me wrong, I don't think Wake Forest is ever, no, no matter how much money you redistribute back to them, they're never going to be a top 25 team perennially. Maybe one side. No, that was a Jim Groves fluke, and now he's at Baylor. Let's see what Baylor does with that. But, you know, you're right, Wake Forest is not going to be that. That was a one shining moment for them, and that was it. And let me say, as it relates to the conference affiliate, like, we always give uh, SEC homers, SEC guys, a hard time because we hate their SEC. Con- <laughs> right. We, they always talk about they, they take a solace or a consolation in, in their team and another team winning the championship. And we've hated South Carolina fans for doing it for so long. And in a way, we've resented it enough that we don't root for other teams in the ACC intentionally. But I'm saying we do need to root for This is a start. We need to root for other teams in the ACC. We want FSU to beat the brakes off of Ole Miss in that opener. We want uh, UNC to beat Georgia. Yeah, I'm just not going to chant ACC. I will root for them to beat SEC teams. I'm not going <laughs> to chant ACC because I got other things to chant about. I don't, if, if Florida State wins the championship again, I'm not ch- chanting ACC. No, I'm chanting much worse things at FSU. When I was in Auburn, <laughs> when Auburn, <laughs> when Auburn won the championship in 2010, I was I was in Auburn. Girlfriend went there. They were chanting SEC on Tumor's Corner. I'm like, you guys just won the championship. There's so many things you could chant. You're chanting SEC right now. But it's something like what we can't explain. I can't believe it took an hour and 10 minutes for us to turn this into anti-SEC talk. Should have done this we should right have, away. Should have been a starting point. Yeah. ACC. So comfortable. ACC. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, well, guys, that's all the show we got for today. Thank you for... Tuning in, uh, tell a friend about the podcast. We will be back uh, coming up. We'll take a look actually at you know where where do not only the pundits see Clemson coming through, but some of the more educated college football writers out there. 
and the mad scientists down in Las Vegas. I think we'll examine some of the, the better bets that are on the board in college football, maybe where Clemson slots into that. And if you are so inclined, which of those we personally feel are, are the best bets that are out there. Uh, we'll keep an eye on recruiting, and maybe we'll even entertain some mailbag questions. So if you've got some of those, hit us up, clemsonpodcast, gmail.com. Shoot us a, a mention on Twitter, or hit us in the comments on STS and TigerNet. And for now, go Tigers.